Gospel of Mark again today. As I mentioned last week, we're going to be kind of uh, staying in Mark as our baseline, skipping no verses and kind of just slowly moving along. But when we cross a, a part in the Gospel when um, Jesus is addressing something, or when the Gospel is addressing something that, that I think is particularly pertinent for our community, we're going to take a breather right there and spend three, four, five, seven weeks on um, on that issue and that topic. And so actually this week, this text from Mark is going to launch us into a series where we talk about the church and the family of God. And Jesus, it starts today when Jesus kind of redefines and expands the family around him. So let's read this passage and talk about how Jesus does that in Mark 3, verses 31 through 35. It says, Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside... They sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my brother? Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is an extremely controversial redefinition of family that Jesus has right now. I want you to just imagine this picture here where this Mark has this language of inside and outside. And if you remember our passage last week when uh, Jesus' uh, his family comes and they're trying to seize him, it says to arrest him, to pull him away kind of from his mission, from his teaching. They're freaked out about him and they kind of accuse that he has gone crazy, that he might be mentally ill and they need to kind of shift him away. And he's like the crazy uncle they need to like take back home. And so then Jesus has an a conflict with some religious leaders that accuse him of being demon-possessed, also not a very nice charge. And now it's back to his family, who it says is standing outside. They're away from him while these other crowd is sitting around him. His family's blood relatives are outside, and these non-blood relatives are inside at his feet listening to his words. And they stood outside and called to him. Remember, that language of calling to him is what Jesus does to other people who are ready to surrender to his will, who are ready to receive his word, he calls, they follow, they listen. But in contrast, this family of blood relatives standing outside are calling to him and kind of demanding that he come out to them. And the crowd tells Jesus, hey man, your blood relatives, your mom, she raised you. Your brothers and sisters, they've been knowing you a long time. They're outside and they are calling for you and they're asking for you. And he has this question that must be so publicly offensive to his blood relatives to say, who are my brothers and sisters? Are these really my brother, my mother, my sisters? And you have to think, that phrase, blood is thicker than water. We, even in our culture, where families are kind of torn apart, blood relatives are less together, less bound, we're more individualistic, even in our world, that is painful to imagine a cutting off of your nuclear family, of your extended family, and to privilege other relationships above your blood family. In our individualistic culture, that's a big deal. I can't overestimate to you what that would be like in the first century Jewish world. That's a collectivist society where you get your core identity from the family that you're bound up with. You get legal standing from that family. Your identity and your future and your past is all rooted with your connection to them that is connected to a larger family and a larger tribe. And it is like, think about, too, they are like passed down land from like 
thousands of years that is, has deep theological significance that is passed through blood family. So it is like very offensive to reorient yourself around that or to cut off from that. But that's what Jesus does. He says, these people that are my blood relatives are not my real family. My real family are those who are sitting here inside around me doing the will of God. The doing the will of God being defined by those who are attentive to Jesus, those who are making way for him to do his mission, those who are ready to hear his voice and call his call on their lives and respond to them in contrast to his blood relatives who were not doing that. And Jesus redefines and expands the family around that. And so we're going to spend some time today talking about that good news, why that is good news of Jesus' redefined and expanded family, that it goes beyond blood relatives. And it's not as offensive as it may seem, but it's actually good news not only for them too, even the family that he's critiquing comes with it an invitation for them to reconsider a redefinition and expansion of family around him. And our culture particularly needs to hear this for a lot of reasons. Let's go to the next slide here. And it's first of all that when we're talking about Jesus redefining and expanding the family around him, he is not eliminating or reducing the family. This is especially pertinent for our culture to be hearing right now, where our culture is drowning in freedom and autonomy. One of my favorite pastors and social critics named Mark Sayers says that human beings seek to find a fulfilling life in three kind of buckets or categories. You have your meaning or your purpose bucket, your community bucket, and your freedom bucket. And you need those to have some, like, be equally full. Because if you're, you know, privileged community and purpose, but you have no freedom and you're kind of bound and chained to your community and to that purpose, that's not a meaningful life. You need some freedom. But if you have, but our culture is like drowning in the freedom bucket. Like unrelenting desire for autonomy and for detachment and like an absence of roots. So to where our culture would imagine like a secular gospel would be, I was feeling constrained by my family obligations, by society's obligations, by my church tradition, by my church family, and I, I was losing who I really was. And in order to discover who I really am, I am who I am at most when I am a roleless individual, when I'm a person with no attachments. So I need to detach from my family, from my church, from my tradition, from social constraints to go discover who I am when, without all that around me. And some people may be like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds legit. I don't think that's very true. I think who we are is defined by our relational connections. We are social creatures. But that desire for freedom leads to sometimes hearing Jesus' words as an invitation to, I don't need a family. I just have me and Jesus. It can just be between me and God. And you can kind of pull away from, from a church and a church involvement and being belonging to a church family. To the point today, I've, I heard recently that Barna researches, Barna Group does a lot of research around uh, religion and, and our society, and he says that people that would, would maybe identify themselves as very committed to the church, very involved and committed and engaged, only attend or engage with that church 1.7 times per month. That would be like the kind of person who's very involved in their church would say, yeah, and I only attend actually 1.7 times because it's kind of one of many fruits of our culture that seeks to have Jesus without the church and kind of pull away from a need for a family. And let me hit this quote real quick from 
uh, Dallas Willard. I can't remember, you know what, I can't remember if I read this quote to y'all before. If I have, y'all can hear it again. I like it a lot. And I think I was putting today, I was like, I think that I might have said this already before, but if you if this is new, if you've heard it before, you need a reminder. It's good. He says, the members of the body must be in contact if they are to sustain and be sustained by each other. Christian redemption is not devised to be a solitary thing, though each individual, of course, has a unique and direct relationship with God, and God alone is his or her Lord and judge. But the life is one that requires some regular and profound conjunction with others who share it. It is greatly diminished when that is lacking. So there's a longing at times for a free life that involves not community. We go back to the other slide about it's not eliminating uh, the family. But there's that spirit of autonomous energy in our culture that would pull us apart. And it's not just with churches. We are born into a culture, are born into a family, born into a world where for generations it's been hypermobile, where you are raised in your family and you are sent out and we don't necessarily live, most of us don't live around the families that raised us and then they didn't live around the family that raised them and we inherit like generations of no longer growing up in, with a sense of a village. That has become like normal in our culture that we are able to move and travel and go different places. And so to follow our dreams, we may detach from our extended families and our villages and our roots to go be somewhere else. And that can be all nice and fine and dandy, but oftentimes we don't pay attention to the community cost of that. And so it's important to realize that Jesus is not trying to eliminate the family to make it just you and God or to say the family is not needed. I don't need my brothers and sisters because I just have me and God. He's trying to redefine it and expand it. And so we still, though, have this social longing in our culture. Even though we are, have absent roots and kind of have cultivated a spirit of relational attachment, we still have a huge desire for social connection because we're social creatures. And so where do we channel all of that to in our culture? The nuclear family. Marriage has become like a requirement for the fulfilled life because we have abandoned all other sorts of relational connections. And that's where you start to hear, even in the church, outlandish statements of the spouse having to carry so much of our relational weight. They are not just my wife or my husband. They have to be my best friend and my soulmate and the one that God has always planned for me. And I now have a great, happy marriage, and it's just all jolly and glorious. And until it's not, because that person cannot bear all of that relational weight that we expect them to carry. And then, that, not only that, but then it excludes single people or people that are in the LGBTQ community that are, believe they are out because the only source of relational fulfillment is marriage, and, I'm, and I, that's not fitting me. But that's not the kingdom of God. And yet that lie is intruded into the church because the nuclear family becomes like the singular outlet to carry all of our relational needs and relational energy. You just can't do it. And our kids suffer for that too. And so where does all that land us? A culture that is plagued by loneliness. Loneliness was the epidemic even before the pandemic we're experiencing now. Where as many as, depending on the reports, 25 to 40% of Americans would say that they are lonely people. They experience loneliness. They experience a deficit between the relationships they have and the relationships they want. And it's not just like the single people who don't have families, even 
people that are uh, married and have children, a third of parents who are raising children at home would say they don't have, uh, they're lonely. They're lonely people who don't have enough relationships. I think 60% of mothers polled in the UK say that they don't have enough friends. And more than half of dudes over 40 say that they might have one, don't even have one friend they can confide in and be honest with. So for all of our desire for freedom and autonomy, all of our narrowing and reducing of our circle to just maybe that nuclear family results in a loneliness because they cannot bear it. And there needs to be the good news of a redefined family, of an expanded family that can include our nuclear families but transcend and go beyond that. And praise God for the good news that Jesus does this. And so let's start talking about that. First, go to, go to my next slide. He redefines the family around himself, and that's good news. So if you think about, without Jesus, our family is defined by blood and how frail that is, physically frail. So even if you do have a healthy, good family, they are not permanent. Like, you can't control the fact that they are physically frail people who might not always be there. And if you spend too much time thinking about that, it will freak you out. I know this from personal experience. A few years ago, I realized how much like my, uh, I felt like a need that my, my wife and children need to be around and like permanently around. And it just hits me that like I can't control that. They could die tomorrow. And like that anxiety like scared me to death. And so one way that anxiety is expressed is if, when my kids get hurt, I get irate. And I tell them I get really mad at anybody who hurts my children, including them. <laughs> I can't believe you hurt my son. You are my son. Because I just imagine, I play that out. The anxious person just projects a future that's terrible, and it's like, well, what if he got hurt one day, and I can't protect him, and then he's gone, and then what? And it's like, that's devastating. And I eventually had to like, go to counseling for this to like, learn how to hold them loosely. But if your core of your family is Jesus, who is permanent, who will never, ever go away, even if you were to lose all of your physical relatives, use the core of your family, and the family he's built around him is permanent and eternal. And so it's good news that he expands it beyond just blood, that you are able then to engage with human beings you tremendously value while holding them loosely without it making you anxious because you know that your core of your family and belonging and is with God, and he can never abandon you, and he will never die. He will never go away. Um, but there's not only a physical frailty. It's a spiritual frailty, too. And we know that blood families don't have the spiritual and emotional resources to not destroy each other. Even blood families that really would say words of love for each other are sometimes unable to control their impulses and end up doing great harm to each other. And many of you know this. You probably come from families where, even if they were so-called good on the surface, some of your deepest wounds come from sin that intrudes the blood family. But when the core foundation of the family is Jesus, the roots of him making it possible for us to be a new family addresses that core issue. Like the core of the gospel story is that he has called out all sin, all abuse, all neglect, all the impulses that destroy families from within. They don't get past Jesus. The cross holds a mirror to that and says, like, that's not okay. So he calls out those problems that uh, destroy relationships, 
and provides the spiritual and emotional resources for long-term forgiveness and healing. And we need that, even in the church. That's why, I mean, some of you, I'm sure, have experienced church hurt, church pain. But when the core of our family, the very core of that story, calls that out, we just keep returning to that, and he says, hey, that abuse, that harm, that relational pain within the church is not okay. That's not in tune with the core. The foundation of our family says that's not okay. And so if he redefines around himself, it deals with the physical and emotional and spiritual frailty that would harm other ways that we would relationally connect. And that's good news. We need that. And if we can trust in that foundational core, then we can engage with each other's frailty with a little more of a, of a thick skin but soft heart. We can engage with each other's frailty, holding each other loosely, knowing this person won't always be there, and they're not going to be perfect. But that's okay, because the core of our family is Jesus, and he makes it possible for reparation and renewal within the family. So he redefines the family around himself, and we need that, and that's good news. And he also expands the family beyond normal boundaries, and that's also good news. So if we have normal boundaries that are geographic in nature, that are uh, you know, homogenous families that are they're all alike, it's just you and people that look just like you, they're born from the same blood, Jesus expands the family to include people that are not like each other. Even his first core family of disciples, the 12, I've mentioned this to you before, but to me I always sit in it, that includes Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, who... Of course, yeah, they both have a Jewish background. They're both men. But the differences they have on their theological and political outlook and the way they engage with their, their social world, they would have kill, literally killed each other. Like Simon the Zealot, zealots in the first century would kill Jews that they feel like betrayed the family of Jewish people and sided with Rome. And now Jesus says, you can get me. Come experience life with me and forgiveness with me but you also get Matthew. <laughs> and he's like, Matthew, you can have me too. New life with you. And here's this dude that was plotting to kill you like last week. But don't worry, brother, I got it, man. <laughs> if he really wants to be with us, he's going to figure it out. And so he forces Jesus, when he redefines around himself and forgives sin to enter in, he breaks down the walls to make it possible for the church to, to, to look like heaven's going to look which is extremely diverse of backgrounds, of racial backgrounds. He eliminates the hierarchies that would separate races and genders and the things that would, would create rivalry within humanity. He makes it possible for the family to expand. And that's good news, too. When we've experienced the loneliness that comes with attempting to get all of our relational fulfillment through the worn-down nub of the nuclear family, we're like, man, I need more relationships. I need more people. And so even now, this Sunday is my one-year, first-year anniversary of preaching. I've, this, I preached exactly one year ago this Sunday. Yeah. Which means that officially the elders can no longer, like, fire me and get slingshot to run it back for free, you know? They, have, they can suck with me now. They have to pay more money to get a person that everybody's everybody stuck now. Now, make bad decisions, and we'll, they just figure it out together. But I'm saying that to say, I land into this new family, and, like, because of the connection we have with Jesus, can immediately have, like, really deep conversations quickly. 
Now, I don't have the roots that some of you have from being in like the same group forever. I mean, my uh, SFG this past fall, I'm like, let's go around and share like when we came to Common Ground and like everyone like 2004, 2005. I'm like, man, I've been here since January. But so there's like a, a depth there. But because of our connection with Jesus, there's like immediate sense of like, oh, we have that in common. And there's a, a, a very foundational common goal that we know we can relate to each other deeply. So like immediately can have harder and better conversations than I would have with people that aren't Christians that I've known for a long time. I remember when I went to college, and I, I had just really owned my faith like right before that. Faith was taken off like a rocket, and I'm like, I guess I should go to ministry. And I remember meeting a guy named Petey there who I only knew for like two or three months, and we immediately started having like very, very, very deep accountability conversations. I remember thinking about guys that I had known for like 10 years before that that I never had that level of depth and honesty with. But Jesus makes it possible to expand the sense of family, that sense of interdependence, of honesty, of being known and of knowing the other person that is only made possible when he can break down those walls and expand beyond just the blood family. And then that would work for even places that are not like us at all. You can get on a plane right now and go to Africa or South America or Asia and walk into a church, and if they know you as a brother or as a sister, they'd be like, oh, these are my people. You can, like, build a relationship from right there because you have Jesus in common. I knew that when I was on sabbatical uh, a couple months or a couple years ago. A couple months ago. Yeah, right, man. <laughs> Been working like crazy. A few years ago, I was on sabbatical and made a point that every week I was going to go to predominantly uh, all-black church in Cincinnati and just show up as a stranger. And they were so friendly and welcoming. People that were not like me at all, different denomination from me. Uh, I did not look like I fit in. It was clear they'd be like, we want to welcome all the guests who are at the church today. And I'm like, not me. I, I'm new. I've not been around here a long time. Like, no, we know. We know that you're a new person. But there's a sense of family that transcends those walls. It even transcends, like, the kinds of tensions you see in the culture because Jesus expands it beyond normal boundaries. And that's good news. We need that good news. And so this ends up being good news for the people who have no family. The gospel renews the possibility for family for single people. In the beginning of the gospel story, you have Anna, who is a widow, who is elevated to a special role to say, oh man, something new and special is happening here with this baby Jesus. And then you have Mary Magdalene, a single woman, is the first person to ever preach the gospel. And she's the one that encounters the risen Jesus, and she gets to run and go tell people, he's risen, it's good news. A single person is empowered, and Jesus himself, as a single man, in Judaism, you would never have any kind of worth or value. There was devastation if you were a widow, if you were barren, if you had no children, if you were not married in the Jewish world. And immediately, the first of the story is it's a renewed sense of family for even single people to the point that the best missionary that's ever lived, Paul, was a single person and says, I wish everyone could be like I am. Because he has a fulfilling sense of belonging and family life despite not being married and having children. That is a mind-blowing good news that we should recapture, because in our culture, in the Christian culture, we have not done family in a way that includes all and in single people as well. But there's a, it's a good news for people coming from broken families, families that have experienced, uh, people that have experienced abuse and have been widowed, people who have, who have experienced uh, 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 being cast out of their families, the early Christian responses to babies that have been abandoned, to people that had physical disabilities and mental disabilities that were abandoned and exposed, and the church would say, you can come into our family. They have a sense of, like, that's good news. 
that the people who have no belonging, who have been cast out, who have been excluded, who have been abused, whose family has died, they now get to be in the family. And people in the first century ran to be a part of it. To the point that in 1 Timothy 5, Paul's like, hang on a second, man. we got to have some rules about how much we give to widows and what widows get, get what from us because our list of widows joining our family is so huge and we need to make sure that we take care of them well in a healthy way and that fosters them towards a life of total spiritual formation and total belonging with us. That is good news for people that don't have a family and for people that have been excluded or have come from broken families. But it's also good news for families that seem like they're solid, but again, the loneliness of young nuclear families is terrible and you think you shouldn't be. Like, oh, I have a healthy marriage, moderately healthy. We get along, we don't fight. My kids, they're healthy, they're good. But this sense of like, wait, I remember how many people I talked to at my former church that it's like, man, I just feel lost and disconnected. I know I shouldn't feel, and then they had that shame of like, I shouldn't feel this way, but they didn't. I'm like, actually, that's pretty normal in our culture. You shouldn't be surprised coming off of how mobile our culture is and how much we have no roots that you've been in this place for a year and a half and you have a year and a half worth of community which is not much, when at age 30, you would hope that you would have 30 years of in the same village with an extended family. That's what your brain, your human body longs for, but now you find yourself in a city away from everyone who knew you growing up, and you're trying to foster relationship out of thin air, and it's like it feels impossible. But when you have, are grafted into this ancient uh, story, this ancient way of life that Jesus has redefined and expanded the family, it's like that gives hope for a possibility for a new sense of family and of belonging. And this is good news for our culture. People are desperate for friendship. They long for friendship. And what we win them with, we win them to. And if you win them with entertainment and bells and whistles, you lead them to needing that forever. But if you win them with friendship, like, hey, Come be a part of a people that is trying to learn how to be friends again. <laughs> We've been stuck in our homes and not knowing how to be friends, and even before pandemic, struggling to do friendship well. But we want to learn and we want to get better. And you probably need some friends too. You should join our friend group. Come be a part of our family group. Come expand our table and be a part of dinner with us and learn how to be friends again. People need and long for that. The loneliness plague is even worse than the, can the pandemic plague. The amount that loneliness contributes to obesity and risk of dementia and risk of heart disease. I read one thing that said it's healthier to smoke 15 cigarettes a day than to be lonely. <laughs> That's how bad it is for your health. And this is good news for the world if we learn how to be family well. If we learn how to cultivate friendship well with, with healthy expectations and invite people into that, we can have a church that looks like heaven, that has a sense of belonging that people are invited into. And this is kind of the spirit behind the vision that we have for the year. You go to the next slide. To partner and participate. And it's to partner with God's people and to participate in God's victory. And I want to emphasize the God's victory piece because I'm saying all this stuff, and some of you are like, man, I've been a part of the church for 15, 20 years, my whole life, and I feel lonely. And, like, you're saying something that sounds good, but yet it doesn't actually work because I still feel lonely. And you're right to a degree. <laughs> Think about what the gospel actually promises us. It doesn't promise immediate cure of our ills. It tells the story of how God has fully identified all that ails humanity and penetrated into our world in order to address it, call it out, and forgive it. And then he presents then a sure future in which those problems don't plague us any longer. 
and we get to, that victory is established. It is a done deal that the future in heaven with God is unadulterated communion with him and with his people that will be very different from all of us. And we get to then participate in that victory. It's already done. So I like the word of participation because the victory is already there. The reality of this new redefined expanded family is official. It is a done deal. It has been accomplished. The work was done on the cross. So it's not us like getting our nails together and trying to build a family. It's like he's already established that and we get to just like join in a game that he's already won and participate in that victory. And the best way to participate in the victory is starts with joining with God's people. And so we do that in anticipation of that future that is certain. And therefore, we get to do what Henry Nouwen, who was a single Roman Catholic priest, said, be lonely together. <laughs> He's like, the loneliness doesn't necessarily go away, but we learn how to process it and pray through it and cry out to God with it together, naming before God that this is not okay, this is not how he made us, and longing for him to reach deep into our hearts and give us the true sense of healing and belonging that we all need. And so we join together with our frailty, with our vulnerability, naming like, hey, man, this once a week, twice a week, a few times a week gathering, after we've been only knowing each other for a few years, it's, it's not going to reach all of our relational needs. But it can be on the way to preparation for heaven with God. And when we gather and privilege those gatherings, we are witnessing to the world that something special is happening here. And it won't go on the news, and it won't always feel enlightening and amazing, but something on a cosmic level of significance happens when Christians gather to worship and to cry out to God and to remember our story, what drew us together. And it is a miracle. You are sitting in this room with people that you would never know if it wasn't for Jesus. There would be no reason for me to know who any of you are if it wasn't for what Jesus had done on the cross to call us into a family to bind us together. And when we join together, we wait in anticipation for the time when our loneliness will fully go away and all that would keep us apart all the shame, the fear, the sense of abandonment, the frailty would finally be addressed and we will be in communion with God and with his family one day. And in the meantime, we participate. We do the best we can. We show up on Sundays. We invite people into the family. We sign up for SFGs. We serve with each other. It won't put a dent in the relational depth of longing we have, but it testifies to the world that we wait on the Lord to make things right and to give us a permanent family that we need to give us that sense of belonging that we've all longed for and that our world hungers for. Jesus has done it enough to make the victory possible and to bring us into this unified, permanent family together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may we receive that invitation. May you overcome our desperation, our desperate sense of need for more friendship, for more belonging for more being loved and being known. May you train us to slowly take steps each week, each day, to experience that interdependence, that unity, that loyalty, relying on each other and providing for each other. May you give us the spiritual and emotional resources to do that for the long haul, to not give up on one another, to not isolate and shrink back, but to live into this value of this worldwide family that you have started. We need your help desperately. It's hard to do this, but you make it possible. In Jesus' name I pray.